Welcome to another episode of Can't Make This Up. I'm your host, Kevin. Uh, Today, I have a fun episode for you. Today, we're looking into the history of UFOs, the government's interest in investigating UFOs, and the emerging culture of UFOlogy that has emerged uh, around this idea. Uh, my guest today is Sarah Scholes. She is a science writer, uh, and she has published works in numerous publications, uh, such as Wired, Popular Science, Scientific American. Uh, and we are going to talk with her about her book, They Are Already Here, UFO, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. So I think you're going to learn quite a bit today. Uh, Before we get started, I want to offer a shout out to a new supporter of the podcast on Patreon. Thank you very much to Bethany for offering her support of the podcast. Uh, If you are interested in helping support what I do here at CMTU, um, head on over to patreon.com for as little as a dollar a month. You can help out and help cover some of the costs of producing the show. Uh, And then you also get to take advantage of early episodes that come out about a week early, um, asking guests questions before they come on, uh, and uh, getting access to some bonus Q&A content. Uh, For example, with this episode, uh, Sarah and I uh, talk a little bit extra about uh, to what extent is ufology becoming a religion in the United States. And she had some very interesting things to say about that. Uh, As always, if you enjoy this podcast, Give it a rate, give it a like, give it a review, uh, and then go ahead and follow me on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear any suggestions you might have or any thoughts about the show. Uh, Those things are always welcome. And book recommendations. I'm always trying to find uh, new guests to bring on. So if there's a history book that you've really been into lately uh, and it's been published in the last couple of years, drop me a line. I would love to hear about it, and I'd love to maybe talk to the author. All right, so let's dive into my interview with Sarah Scholes. The You Can't Make This Up History Podcast Bringing you strange but true things from the past It's not the average history that you learned in school We're bringing you the heroes and bringing Sarah Scholes, welcome to Can't Make This Up. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, very glad to, to have you here. Um, we're going to talk about something we don't normally talk about on history podcasts. We're going to talk about UFOs. Yeah, I mean, they have, they have a, a pretty substantial history, so it, it fits even if it's weird, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. They've been around long enough that they can be considered a part of uh, part of our history. Um, uh, before we get started, though, tell us a little bit about you. Um, you're a science writer, I understand. Yeah, um, I uh, I started out my career planning to go be an astronomer uh, and work at a radio telescope, and then uh, I discovered that I enjoyed um, not so much the deep dive into a specific scientific topic, but being able to learn about and share stuff about lots of different topics. So I write um, 
science news and articles and things like that and sometimes you know stuff about ufos for uh for a general audience for my job and uh yeah that's where i come from so uh it sounds like i'm i'm talking to a a fellow uh science nerd <laughs> yeah i think that's a i think that's a fair assessment <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> no, it's a good way to be. You get to uh, learn a lot about the way the world works and all the things that we uh, also don't know about the way the world works. So it's kind of ideal in my opinion. Absolutely. All right. So you are the author of uh, They Are Already Here. Uh, and this is a book uh, about the little bit of the history of the UFO and a little bit of the culture of people who believe in them. Um, I think a lot of people would argue that this isn't particularly a, a hard scientific topic. So how did you um, first become interested in, in looking into UFOs? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, for most of my life, I wasn't uh, interested in them at all because I do kind of uh, I come from the hard science side of things. And I agree with you that uh, UFOs, if they're involved science at all, are pretty soft science, at least at the moment. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd spent a lot of my life interested in things like uh, astrobiology or the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, these kind of more uh, quantifiable and data-driven uh, things. But um, UFOs, I had just kind of relegated to, um, you know, that's that's for other people. And then uh, in late 2017, um, maybe some of your listeners remember when this happened, the New York Times published a big story on the front page um, of one issue about a uh, Pentagon-led research program into UFOs. And I thought, well, on the, on the one hand, it makes sense that the, the people who are trying to uh, monitor and protect the airspace around the country are interested in things they can't identify. Uh, on the other hand, um, a lot of the stuff sounds really creepy and uh, a little suspicious, so maybe I'll start to look into it. And then um, it was actually in the course of looking into that, talking to people like historians about the way that, that UFOs have shown up in the past you know, 70 years or whatever, um, that, that made me realize actually there, there are people who do study this and think about it in a really interesting way. And I just kind of set off to learn more about them. Okay, so that um, New York Times article that, that kind of set you off on, on this quest, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? What did it, you know, what did they claim in this article? Mm -hmm. So uh, the article introduced us to a man named Luis Elizondo. He said, uh, who said that from around 2008 to 2012, he led a program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, which uh, he said would take uh, UFO reports or, you know, in, in polite terms these days, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, and uh, from service members in the military mm. and investigate them. And he said that, you know, if there was a UFO report that came in from some part of the Department of Defense, it landed on his desk. Um, and with the article came a couple of videos showing alleged uh, military encounters with UFOs. Um, and then it described the uh, contractor who was in charge of actually running 
uh, the this program, its acronym is called ATIP is what people say. Um, and that man's name is uh, Robert Bigelow. He made a, a lot of money building budget hotels in Las Vegas and then um, started some space companies and then apparently became in charge of the Pentagon's UFO uh, program. So um, the article claimed, I guess, to, to make a, a long story shorter and bullet points that the Pentagon was investigating UFOs Robert Bigelow's company was in charge of it, that people uh, in the Department of Defense saw them kind of on the regular, and also uh, that it was a, a national security problem that needed to be investigated, and uh, that people were coming out of, out of the shadows of government, out of the hidden corners of the Pentagon to talk about this publicly because they didn't think it was being taken seriously enough, and that is how this uh, New York Times article got started. So they say. Okay, and that's kind of what led us on the track to where we are today, because just recently, uh, within the last uh, few weeks of when we're recording this, um, the U.S. Congress had had public hearings on this topic of of unidentified aerial phenomena. Yeah, that is true. It has been kind of a uh, a slow burn since that initial article, which was now you know four and a half years ago um uh to to today um where uh you know at the beginning people came out of government said this is a problem it's not being taken seriously and then um as i understand it have kind of lobbied through the past few years to get more data public to have more politicians take the issue seriously and to have some kind of formalized uh investigation program so um, that is where we are. And actually just yesterday, uh, NASA, the space agency announced that they too are jumping on the, the UFO train and are going to be investigating which of their data sources might be useful to the effort. So it's, it's kind of coming to some sort of a head, I suppose. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I would, you know, we talked about the hard science versus, you know, soft science, uh, um, separation there. I, I would like to think that NASA will approach this with a with a hard science mindset. Yeah, that is that is what they they promised at their press conference. And I mean, um, there are certainly unscientific, pseudoscientific and very soft scientific ways to go about studying UFOs. But if what you're doing is looking at, you know, satellite data, radar data, um, things like that and just saying is there something in here we don't recognize how often do we see something in here we don't recognize what are the characteristics do different instances have characteristics in common like that can actually be uh at least statistically scientific so um i think hopefully at least that's their aim mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know regardless of if uh you know, UFOs are real or extraterrestrial or just some kind of misidentified natural phenomena. Um, regardless, people believe in them, um, which is interesting in and of itself. And, and one thing I really liked about reading your book is you, you go out and you meet some of these people. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your experiences, uh, you know, going and meeting with you know, UFO researchers and going to UFO conferences? Um, I think a lot of people probably have this stereotype of, you know, somebody who sits in their basement and wears a tinfoil hat. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean that guy's out there. Um, I didn't okay. talk to him, but, but uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think you know one of the first people who I interacted with on this uh, this UFO journey. Um, is a guy named Jack Brewer, uh, and he writes a blog called The UFO Trail, where uh, he's he's just he's very interested in UFOs, but kind of from the historical and human vantage point. Um, you know, to my knowledge, he hasn't had a sighting and has no kind of like spiritual attachment to UFOs, but he just he goes out and does kind of like uh, hobby investigative reporting on 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 people like Robert Bigelow who ran this Pentagon program and so um, people like him are interesting to me because they dedicate a lot of uh, free time to investigating UFOs despite not really you know believing they're one thing or the other and um, I think that's a subset of people who just like like a hard problem you know um like a mystery um, that can't that can't be solved and have no particular investment in what the, the answer itself is. Kind of on the other end of the spectrum are people like Katie Grabowski, who is who is someone I met in Colorado where I live, and she is an investigator for the Mutual UFO Network or MUFON. Uh, and MUFON is where like if you saw a UFO tomorrow and you wanted to report it and have somebody go investigate it and see if they could figure out what it was. Um, MUFON does that and she is, Katie is one of Colorado's lead investigators and um, she And, and this is all volunteer, right? People just, who are yes. doing it. Right, right. And uh, okay. um, yes, and uh, MUFON is far from a perfect organization, but it does have uh, a lot of uh, honest and good people <laughs> volunteering for it. But um, yeah, she, you know, she was motivated by strange kind of experiences that she interpreted as paranormal when she was younger and then like watching ghost hunting shows as she as she got older and then seeing, you know, seeing strange things and wanting to investigate them. So she does, you know, believe things happen, but also tries to remain a little bit agnostic about what's going on. Um, and so I think on either side of the spectrum, it, it becomes pretty personal, even if you don't believe or not, just, uh, you know, people go down the rabbit hole and become uh, obsessed for one reason or the other. And so, I mean, so did I, to be fair. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's there's something about this topic that's, that's like that. It, it kind of has a, a addictive quality to it uh, to some degree, uh, you know, because I've noticed that in just, you know, getting curious about it and listening to some podcasts. Uh, it's very easy to start kind of binge consuming this type of content. Um, yeah. but why, why do you think that is? I think that, um, I mean, first of all, there's just so many different avenues to go down. You could spend all your time investigating individual cases that you find. You could spend all your time uh, trying to figure out whether there's a government conspiracy going on. Uh, you could spend all your time like disentangling the financial um, uh, web <laughs> among the different uh, UFO celebrities. Um, and so uh, there's kind of endless avenues for exploration. But I think te- technically, I, I guess I can only speak for myself. And uh, there's probably a little bit of 
a little bit of hubris in thinking like, here's this thing, um, these UFOs, they've existed uh, as, as a mystery, whether they're uh, real or alien or not for decades. But maybe I, if I do just enough research, can finally be the one to find some kind of definitive answer. And because, you know, no one else really has before, you can always maybe imagine that you might be that person. Um, and I wasn't, but may maybe you are, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to solve the entire mystery. Thank you. A lot of people would really appreciate that from you. So. Um. Okay. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. There, there's that um what quest for the uh, esoteric that mm -hmm. you know have the 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 answers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, um, you know, before we talk a little bit more about the you know the current or recent government programs, um, so so ATIP isn't the government's first foray into this topic. Uh, I mean, the government has officially studied UFOs before, right? Yes, yeah, there were, there was a series of projects kind of in the mid 20th century that all kind of bled into each other. And um, the, the biggest one and the one that people have probably heard of if they've heard of any of them is called Project Blue Book, which, you know, ran for a few decades and was uh, essentially a lot like people described ATIP. Let's take these reports of UFOs Let's set some scientists upon them and let's see if we can solve what they are. And so they had, um, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but many, many cases um, that they would go investigate. And the goal, it was a, it was a, um, a military project. And so the goal wasn't, you know, find aliens or solve a spiritual mystery. It was deter, you know, determine whether UFOs represent some kind of threat to national security. And in, in the end, um, it was determined that they did not. And also that studying them didn't really provide very much scientific value to the community. And so the, the project was canceled. Um, and uh, as far as anyone knew from then, which was about uh, 1969, until, uh, the, until we learned about ATIP, there was not an official, um, you know, named investigation program. Um, but ATIP, I guess you could kind of think of the way they described it as a, a modern reincarnation of, of Project Blue Book. And, um, you know, we might get into a little bit of whether that was actually true or not, but that's the way it was described. Now, uh, just thinking, you know, historically about when those the the Air Force's research efforts were situated. I mean, that's at the the, the height of the Cold War. Um, you know, what, what factors did that play into, into their program? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, if you want to get uh, psychological about it, you know, there was a large fear of outsiders and kind of a constant awareness and watching of the skies, you know, like what, what is the Soviet Union sending over, who is trying to, you know, take away our way of life, um, and just it, uh, you know, people were on edge. And I think um, the, the, the way I've heard it described from people who have studied it much more than me is, you know, when there are times of worldly, uh, very terrestrial turmoil, people kind of turn um, their attention to UFOs in part because it's like, it's something you can worry about 
that is a distraction from the like very uh, present thing that you should maybe worry about more like is is Russia sending a bomb this way um, or something like that and um, from and that, that's from the public side but from from the actual you know governmental and military side investigating uh, unidentified things over U.S. airspace is a very good way to find out if there are you know uh, incursions or trespassings that uh, that you are not okay with, and whether another country is developing some kind of stealth aircraft that you don't know of yet. And like, if I go outside and I see something I can't identify and I report it, you know, that doesn't mean that the US government doesn't know that it's like some kind of new drone from some other country. And then the same would have been true then. So it was a useful way to see other people's technology um, and also to see the way that the US's own technology looked to, to a regular person. Um, like uh, people dispute this statistic, but I think uh, the official one that's out there is that the, the CIA takes credit for about 50% of UFO sightings around that time because uh, of its U-2 spy plane. They say that around 50% of them were just people seeing that. And so um, you can believe that if you want or not believe that if you want, but I think it is at least a factor going into things. And that, that's good information to have, right? If, mm -hmm. every, if everybody can see your spy plane, you may want to rethink. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, bad job, try again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and, and that's kind of, I, I guess that's kind of a similar arguments that, that came up in the congressional hearing and that you hear today that there's some strange sightings around in restricted airspace or around um, uh, naval exercises and um, you know that you know aliens aside that that's a concern right right and I think um, like uh, as uh, you know I'm not a, a a believer that aliens are driving spaceships around or that we should spend a lot of resources investigating like that hypothesis in particular. But I do think that like the people charged with, uh, you know, assessing and protecting a country would do well to understand uh, strange, strange unidentified things flying around no matter where they come from. So like, it makes sense to me that that is something that they would want to investigate. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. Even if it's just some guy driving the driving the drone that he got for Christmas, right? Um, you know, I I uh, I think about this. Uh, you know, it could be commercial drone, something somebody got from Amazon. But you know, I I feel like if I took a commercial drone and flew it around an aircraft carrier or like a nuclear power <laughs> plant, I'm gonna go to jail. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't recommend it very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think the, uh, the, the nuclear sites or the, uh, at least the, the Department of Energy National Labs where they, you know, develop uh, nuclear weapons technology, I think they're all getting counter, counter drone systems, or at least some of them have already because they have been having problems with people flying them around. And so they're all getting uh, shoot, shoot, down, shoot down your drone systems. <laughs> so if you don't want to lose your drone, don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> Don't learn the lesson the hard way. Okay. okay. So, um, you know, we, we studied this pretty extensively in, in the 50s and 60s, and then uh, it seems to have gone away. 
um, but then is resurrected with this ATIP program. Um, but can you tell me, uh, okay, so the, you know, the name of the podcast is Can't Make This Up. Uh, can you tell me what the hell Blink-182 has to do with any of this? Oh, man. Oh, uh, well, um, yes. So <laughs> <laughs> where do you even start? So Tom DeLong is, was a member of the band Blink-182, which I listened to a lot of when I was a teenager. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, he started talking pretty publicly about how he uh, had some insider information about UFOs and what was going on. And, and he'd kind of long expressed interest in this in interviews and his bandmates would talk about him like reading a bunch of UFO conspiracy books on the tour bus when they were out. Um, but uh, in 2017, uh, October 2017, he announced a new initiative called To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, uh, which is not very catchy, um, but is an organization that he formed um, allegedly to help get UFO information that he had in his possession out to the public in palatable ways through through like you know hard, hardcore reports on things that had happened particularly within the military but then also through um you know uh books movies films things like that that could just kind of inject uh his version of ufo history into people's minds and um at his announcement uh, of this initiative, he introduced the world to the man who um, says he ran the Pentagon's ATIP program and revealed the existence of this program for the first time, although he didn't name it. So he had hooked up with this guy from the Pentagon. They were gonna bring the world a bunch of UFO truth. And they had possession of a couple of videos from, um, fighter jets that that allegedly showed ufos and so you know since then uh tom delong famous ones that we've we've all probably seen at this point repeated on the news yeah yeah and you've all seen them because there's not a whole lot of others so they just keep showing the same ones over and over again yes um but yeah since then tom tom delong and and this crew that he brought together for this program has kind of been behind most of the news stories that people have probably read about UFOs since 2017. Like they're the ones who have these videos. They're the ones who push forward different stories. And, and actually uh, th they say that they are the ones who have also been uh, lobbying Congress people to be taking it seriously. So um, we all have Blink-182 to thank for a lot of things these days, I guess that that's just a crazy story to think. <laughs> <laughs> I know I remember reading before before Tom announced any of the to the star stuff and he was just talking about how much he knew about aliens I was like man wouldn't it be so weird if Tom DeLonge was the one to to like <laughs> change the world with alien knowledge I don't know if I would like that or hate that but it would definitely be very weird well, and you talked earlier about, you know, people wanting to be that person that, that brings this truth to the world. And I, mm -hmm. I think that definitely describes, describes him in this case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, um, you know, no one, no one fully knows 
uh, Tom DeLonge's motives except for Tom DeLonge, but um, I think it's clear that he, at the very least, is a like, true and sincere believer in, in, uh, in what he calls the phenomenon uh, itself and does believe that he's bringing some truth to the world. A lot of people disagree with that, but I think he believes it. Okay, so so him and and a few others have been really influ influential in in bringing awareness to this topic and getting uh, you know congressional interest. Um, but this this more recent government research program, I, I think when we say that people think of this very you know like classified agents or military personnel all handling these things in the Pentagon, um, but you know, the way you describe it in your book, the reality is a little bit different in how this got outsourced to, um, I guess I'll say an eccentric billionaire. Uh, yes, I think that that would be fair to say. Um, yeah, Robert, Robert Bigelow, he uh, lives out near Las Vegas and his uh, grandparents had a UFO sighting and told him about it when he was young and um, you know that's kind of at least how the origin story is told of how he got very interested in all this and so he he's been interested in UFOs for a long time he's also interested in other sorts of uh, paranormal topics in the 1990s he bought a piece of ranch land in Utah called Skinwalker Ranch, which uh, you might know from the uh, hyped up History Channel show Skinwalker Ranch, where allegedly that you know there were like supernatural wolves and um, yeah I've seen cattle that. mutilations and sorry go ahead I I've seen that yes yeah yeah um, and and so he bought it he he wanted to be the guy to gather scientific data on weird phenomena and so he established a whole research institute to check out the paranormal things that were allegedly going on in this ranch. And, you know, inconveniently uh, that, you know, the cameras would shut off right when the wolf showed up or whatever. And so they never actually gathered any data, but um, he was also the, the go-to guy. His company was the go-to company for UFO sightings for a long time. And so, just kind of in the background, he's been funding private UFO studies and gathering uh, reports and, and trying to investigate them. And um, then, you know, around 2008, he became the person in charge of doing things like that for uh, our government instead of for his own uh, interest. So, so we, uh, uh, you and I as taxpayers and people listening, we helped look for <laughs> portals and werewolves and weird stuff at a ranch in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still a little bit unclear exactly what did go on under the umbrella of this program because the only things that that have that that the the Pentagon has actually released that have come out of this program are a bunch of technical reports about. Um, advanced flight technology because on paper this this program was not actually about UFOs at all according to the contract and according to you know the Pentagon itself it was for Robert Bigelow to be investigating uh, 
advanced weapons systems that exist now and of the future and to kind of extrapolate out like what should we be worried about in terms of weapons and flying weapons in the future and um you know the pentagon says as part of that uh the group maybe use ufo reports to to understand uh some strange things in the sky but that studying ufos was not actually part of the mandate at all um but then other people have said you know that was just a cover he was supposed to be studying ufos and other people have said he was supposed to be do studying ufos but what he was doing was studying werewolves on a ranch in utah and so um as a taxpayer uh what you know is not a whole lot exactly about what happened to your money I mean, they spend money on all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, if they if they can catch the wolf, I would be super interested in that, you know. But oh yeah, good, I, I would pay admission to go see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, okay, so um, you know, this all kind of became public knowledge in 2017. Um. Uh, have in the last, you know, four and a half, almost five years, uh, I guess, have, has the public learned any more? Have we, have, um, uh, have they made any progress toward, I guess, what the UFO community would call disclosure? <laughs> you use the D word. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there has been kind of a lot that's happened on the political scene, um, you know, places like the Navy have tried to formalize UFO reporting guidelines. The uh, there is a military uh, UAP task force that formed. We got a report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence kind of looking at the UFO sightings that they had data on and, and trying to figure out, you know, what they could tell about them. Um, but in terms of actual new e evidence or things you can kind of sink your teeth into as a person without a security clearance, uh, there's not a whole lot really that uh, report um, from from the, the spy agency uh, kind of basically said like, here's, I forget how many, 140 something incidents that we have found over this set of years. And in only one case, could we determine what something was, but we think the rest of these, you know, there's just not enough data to tell whether it's truly something extraordinary and weird or whether it's just something that's misidentified. Um, and that, that is what a, a, known, a noted skeptic named Mick West calls the, the low information zone, where if you just don't have a lot of information about something, there's no way to turn it from a UFO into an IFO, an identified flying object, because you just don't have enough, enough data to do that. Um, and then there have been like a few more videos that have come out uh, of UFOs, some of them have been debunked as pretty prosaic objects, and it's mostly been kind of a rehashing of the same things we already knew in 2017, but uh, with a lot more senators involved. So I would say uh, half a step forward for UFO information. 
So I, I guess if you're a skeptic to begin with, you look at this and say, well, there's nothing there. That's why they don't have much information to share. And I guess if you're more conspiratorially minded, um, you know, you look at this as a, as a government cover up and they're trying to, to, to keep the goods. Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and there's kind of no way if you're outside of government to prove that wrong, it's unfalsifiable, which means if you believe that you can just keep believing it. And, um, you know, there is historical precedent for that kind of being true. Um, not, not, not the government hiding aliens, but like in the past, it hasn't, it hasn't wanted people to really, you know, get, get into UFOs and has been concerned about it and has kept information from people. So to think that they might be doing the same thing now does have historical basis. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I guess lastly, the, the other part of your book that I really enjoyed is it, it's kind of part travelogue. Uh, where you kind of go on these UFO-themed uh, trips and adventures to see things for yourself. Um, can you kind of briefly tell us some of the places you went? Um, yeah, one of my favorite trips was going camping outside of Area 51, uh, which is, you know, the, the advanced testing base or where they keep the aliens in the basement, depending on who you ask. <laughs> and... Um, uh, yeah, it's just a, a vast place in the Nevada desert that you can you could go right up to the, the border of you're allowed because it's just all public land. But, um, you know, as soon as you cross the border, they can shoot they can shoot you if they would like to. So I didn't do that. Um, but uh, yeah, camp, camping there where people think that, uh, you know, they have seen a lot of UFOs. When I was camping, I did see things that were UFOs to me, like uh, I saw this kind of like fleet of what I assume were probably drones that just like moved in unison in this huge net over the sky and then just completely disappeared. Um, and so going there made me understand why, if you already believed that the, that the US government was in possession of alien spacecraft, that you would look at, at that and think like, that's definitely an alien spacecraft. Um, it's not what I think, but. Um, and then one of my other favorite places was called the UFO Watchtower, which is just a little tourist attraction in my home state of Colorado, uh, where a woman who kind of tried and financially failed to be a cattle rancher decided to build a little watchtower where people could look for UFOs and stay overnight camping and like leave leave mementos in a kind of spiritual garden for the aliens to um, uh, interact with somehow. And, uh, you know, it just, it gets a mix of people who are kind of casually interested in UFOs, people who see it as like a UFO and alien shrine. And it's just kind of like a, a gathering place where a lot of people from a lot of different viewpoints can, can come and, you know, sit around a literal campfire. I think those are my two favorites. That, that's kind of cool. And I, I could see if you were a, a member of the, the UFO community, this would be kind of a bucket list uh, stop for you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's it's a cool part of the country. Also, it's a very weird part of the country. And it's it's in a valley, which I guess I should have mentioned that has 
at least according to some lists, one of the the or the highest per capita UFO sighting rate in the country, which is why she decided to build this tower. So, okay, and, and you know, you've uh, Sarah, you've studied this extensively. Uh, you've written a book on it. Um, you know, I guess the audience is is probably waiting to wonder what's your take on uh, on ET. <laughs> have um, we been visited <laughs> there's actually an alien sitting next to me right now as we speak um, <laughs> you just can't see him because this is a podcast uh, no I you know I think that it is highly unlikely and a pretty large logical leap based on the evidence we have to 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 come firmly down on the side that, that UFOs are are built and driven by aliens um you know that said i haven't seen one uh i don't know um so i can't say that for sure but i think it's unlikely but in in the universe uh as a whole uh i kind of go back and forth you know um i think a lot of astronomer types are pretty optimistic about the fact that there's so many stars that have so many planets and so many different conditions where life could develop that there kind of just statistically has to be life in the universe. And if there's life, likely some of it kind of went on to develop intelligence of some sort. But then if you talk to uh, biologists, I think they tend to be a little bit less optimistic because it turns out we still don't really understand how you get from a bunch of unalive chemicals to life at all. And so we don't understand how rare of a process that might be. And so, uh, I mean, I think probably on my optimistic good mood days, I think there's aliens out there. And on my like nihilistic days, I think, nah. <laughs> so uh, I, get, I, uh, I don't come down firmly on either side. What about you? What do you think? Um, I consider myself, uh, and I can't take credit for this. I stole it from somewhere. I don't remember where. I'm, I'm an optimistic disbeliever. Um, <laughs> you know, I like I, I want this to be true. I, I grew up watching enough Star Trek where I think that that would be, you know, just amazing to have this galactic federation and contact with these other species. Um, but every time, you know, new supposed evidence is presented, I'm always uh, disappointed. Uh, mm -hmm. That's all you got. <laughs> this fuzzy video. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. But but I'm with you. Um, based on what we're learning about the universe and how common planets are and how uh, Earth may not be as unique as we once thought, I'm I'm interested that you know, like with the James Webb Telescope, I'm I'm very interested to see what that will learn about exoplanets and yeah, maybe we will find somebody. Yeah, if you find them first, please give me a call. <laughs> I will. I, well, you have to do a sequel on your book. If, oh, okay. If you're right. I do. I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Sarah, th this was a lot of fun. Um, uh, if people want to learn more about you or your work, um, where can they go? Uh, yeah, I have a website where there's more information about books and articles I've written, which is just sarahskoles.com, S-C-O-L-E-S. -E um, and then I am on uh, Twitter at Skoles Sarah. So both of those places are good places to keep up with whatever it is I do with my life. Okay. And any, uh, any uh, uh, future books in the hopper that you can tell us about? 
Uh, yeah, I'm working on one right now that is tentatively titled mass defects, um, which is a physics term about uh, uh, atomic energy. And it, it's a book about the modern nuclear weapons complex and the scientists who work kind of both on designing nuclear weapons and on the fundamental physics behind behind how those weapons work. So oh, interesting. Been running around to a lot of labs lately. OK. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Well, maybe we'll have you back on when that comes out. Yeah, for sure. I will be there. And uh, I will be there unless I start flying drones around the labs. And then I will probably get arrested <laughs> and not write a book. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Uh, I find it a fascinating topic. Uh, like I mentioned in the episode, you know, I grew up a Star Trek kid and an X-Files kid and uh, UFOs interest me. I haven't uh, found a whole lot of compelling in, uh, evidence, but uh, the concept interests me. The idea of, of entirely different life forms being elsewhere in the universe is interesting. So I kind of follow this space a little bit. Uh, and some of the things that we talked about in this episode, uh, I encourage you to uh, go do uh, a little bit more research in the news. It's kind of been a developing story of sorts. Uh, very recently, within the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, it's kind of come out that some of the uh, people involved in this program um, weren't necessarily operating in an official capacity investigating UFOs. It was more of a, uh, seems to have been more of kind of a part-time hobby or personal interest done in their spare time, uh, which I think is kind of interesting uh, given kind of the, the narrative we've been operating on the last five years. So it's, uh, as with many of my uh, history topics on this show, you know, a lot of times they're in the in the way past uh, and have been, uh, you know, there's been plenty of time for historians to bring in analysis. Uh, this topic, though, is, is relatively new and kind of blends with current events. Uh, so it's still developing. So it's kind of an interesting thing to take a look at if you're interested in uh, UFO stuff. Uh, if you liked Sarah's uh, book and what she had to say uh, and you want to pick up a copy of her book, uh, there is a link to They Are Already Here down in the description of this episode uh, in your podcast app. Uh, and then uh, I'll be back in a couple weeks or so. Uh, I've already recorded a couple interviews, uh, one with uh, Dean Job. Uh, talking about the murderous Dr. Cream, a Victorian-era serial killer. Uh, and then another one, Eric J. Dolan, has come back on the podcast uh, to talk about his latest book, Rebel Seas, Privateering in the American Revolution. Uh, so got some good stuff on the docket coming up. Uh, Going to be recording a, another episode here soon. Uh, I'm talking with uh, David Hendy from the UK, uh, who has written a, a good book, on the BBC, A Century on the Air. So I'm excited to talk to him about that. So, uh, yeah, summer is rolling along and finding a, a lot of good history to talk about. So I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, and as I said before, uh, if you're not following me on social media, uh, please reach out and connect. I would love to hear from you and would love to hear your feedback. All right. With that, I uh, hope you have a great rest of the day. 
and take care, everyone.